Running Sentences presents The Madhouse Job, Part 7, The Plot to Kill. Things have taken another confusing turn, as Jasper Hughes finds himself caught up in a plot to kill the owner of the asylum. This is a work of fiction. Any names, characters, businesses, events, and incidences within the story are products of the author's imagination. Any resemblance to actual people living dead, real, or any incidences that are real is purely coincidence. Copyright 2021, Michael Honoré. All rights reserved. Jasper opened his eyes to see that Diana Worth, Mr. Worth, and Dr. Burton all gathered around on the other side of the desk in Worth's office. They looked at him expectantly, as if he'd just agreed to help kill someone. This place truly was a madhouse, where everyone had gone mental. Why aren't you three working with uh, Mr. Von Baum? He seems to want the same thing as you guys. We tried, but he doesn't f believe us. Said that we would betray him and take all the credit in the world for cracking the case. And then something about not having powerful enough dreams. Are you, Mr. Hughes, working with him? I'm forced to work with him, by gunpoint. Ah, uh, he got me back here with the plan not to go after Mr. Locke, but somebody else. Somebody paranormal, potentially. Not Mr. Locke. That fake researcher certainly has gone mad himself. It's always about luck. There's no one else it could be. There was a knock on the door, and everyone turned to look at him. Jasper found himself sucking in his breath as the door opened. He hoped that it wouldn't be bad, but when a security walked in, he felt a bit of his oxygen squeaking out of him. The guard, in a crisp and well-tailored uniform that didn't have a crease out of whack, came into the center of the room and then saluted the worst. There is a patient who needs to talk to you right away. What is the problem with them? They claim to have heard the scratches and swear up and down that they've seen a floating head. Worth slowly rose up from his chair and coughed politely as the three of them moved around the desk. Is there anyone else attending to this patient? Or is there anyone with him? Or what do we know about him? All I know is that he is with a nurse, and he called for someone special. Well, it will need all of our help, including our Mr. H here. He also deals with the odd and unusual, and it will be a good test to see if he can help us further, don't you all agree? The security guard didn't bother looking over at him, as he threw another salute, and then swung around with military precision and marched out of the room. Mr. Burton... Dr. Burton and Miss Secretary Worth, although Jasper wondered if she was really a secretary, had all nodded along with Mr. Worth that, yes, this would be a good test for Jasper. After all of that nodding, Jasper found himself being hurried along by Diana as they crowded their way out. Soon out in the hallway, Jasper found his arms being linked together at the elbow by Diana's. She pulled him as the three men went ahead down the hallway. The loud voices of the doctor seemed to be covering something as the conversation was about sports, which from appearance neither would be very heavily into. But Jasper could only shrug at that. Maybe they were into it. A soft and very sudden scent hit him as Diana leaned in. By the way, 
Your face twitched twice on the mention of scratches, and then the mention of a floating head. Why? I've heard the scratches myself, but could never place them other than by the wall, or around the wall, or something, I don't know. As for the head, it was part of my terrible nightmare, and it belonged to the man who started this facility. This Dr. Hewitt Tyler, or just Hewitt Tyler, I have no idea if he's a doctor or not, now that I think about it. But that was in a nightmare of a dream, and I wouldn't put much stock into it. Is that so? I'm not sure that I believe you, but for now, I'll let you pretend that I do. She pulled him along faster as they exited this hallway. Soon, they rushed down into the basement and were waiting for the tram car to come by. The five of them stood around until two trams glided noiselessly into the basement and came to a stop in front of them. Jas found himself being herded to the second tram by Dan as they looked about. He'd neither seen a call button or anyone call for the trams through some sort of special button or anything. Even when he'd worked there as a cleaner, he'd never thought about how the trams just showed up. This thought only stuck about for a minute, as he and Diana sat in the cart, while the three others were in one in front of them, as the lead tram was already zooming off back into the dark tunnels, and then a second later, jerking him back, as they too went down the rail into the darkness of the blinking lights. The ride took quite a bit of time, as they whizzed past many basements, and they rushed to the one that had the patient. It all had become quite a blur of lights, and then dim lights as the world and wind rushed past. Thankfully for Jasper, this also meant that the person next to him couldn't talk to him and let him think about everything. He wondered if these people really wanted to kill Sebastian Locke, as they so claimed, or if something else was going on. There was also the matter of Von Baum, who wanted him to find Hewitt. None of this made any sense, along with the disappearance of the city, or the little rural village, or whatever it wanted to be called, or any of the patients disappearing, or being needed by Hewitt for some reason to stay alive, or what was going on. Why? Or, or why any of this was happening? And how did it get so distracting to him to forget about the man who murdered his family? Uncle Port would not escape if he popped up again. The tram pulled a sudden braking motion which jerked the two a bit forward as it slowed and then came to a stop in a building basement. The walls and the floors of this building, which had a giant seven marking on it, were much less nice than the one he'd been in. In fact, one would probably consider them to just be suitable for use in a hospital. The place didn't get much of a second thought or look, though, as the five of them were soon up the stairs and heading for this patient. It took a lot of clambering as the group had to go up staircase after staircase after staircase, heading up five or so stories just to get to a hallway. Jasper found himself puffing a little bit by the time they'd gotten to this fifth level, though the rest all seemed okay with what had happened with all of the walking. Once out into this hallway, they were greeted by the sight of a greenish-hued place with carefully locked steel doors that lined either side. This was definitely a place for patients, or just anyone, that was to be locked away. The guard took the lead and began marching his way down, and not far from the staircase doorway, and he came to a stop at one that was numbered 17, and rested his hand on the locking mechanism before turning to them with a dour expression. It was somewhere between a grimace and a scowl, and neither suited the guard, who looked like he always should be a bit neutral. The patient is in here. I caution you that he appears 
smart and funny and at ease. Everything about him is well... is well odd. You've been warned. The door was then unlocked and the group, minus the guard, shuffled forward into the brightly lit room. There wasn't much to see in here other than a bed, a toilet, and a desk for books. It had no storage space, really, aside from the top of the desk. It was a stark reminder to Jasper that those in here were much like jailhouse prisoners. The green walls and clean smell of bleach made it feel a little nicer than he expected a prison to be, but all that went out the window when he saw the patient sitting on his bed, smoking a cigarette. Edgar Port. Ah, nephew, Jasper Hughes. So bad to see you at a time like this. You're, you're his nephew? Yes, I am, and I came to work at this cursed place to find out why my uncle murdered my family. I did not do that, I told you that, nephew. Miss Luck can attest to that I was never there that day, not in that town, not anywhere close. Please let that rest. Johanna probably could, but she isn't here this second to do so. These doctors want to help you, though, so why don't you tell them all about the floating head and scratching noises that you've supposedly heard? Edgar Port smiled behind his cigarette and then turned to the doctor. What do you think you can do for me? We're exploring the abnormal or paranormal activity that's happening here. You claim that it has happened to you, so we'd like to know about it. We believe that you have experienced something. The married couple crowded towards Port, while the other doctor held back and pulled out a cigarette of his own, lighting it up before he, too, began speaking. Yes, very interested in how it links to uh, Mr. Locke. It doesn't link to him at all. Well, it might. Mr. Doctor Person. You're certain it doesn't? We believe him to be at the center of this whole mess. Well, Mr. Hughes here doesn't, as he thinks the old owner of the place has something to do with it all. Maybe he's a ghostly presence. Now, dear, we shouldn't rule anything out yet. Explain, Mr. Port. I'd rather show you what I've found. It's much more interesting than telling you. To this, he rose from his bed and went over to the metal bin of a toilet and gave it a good kick. Part of the wall simply moved aside, revealing an interior wall. It was a terribly dark space inside of there. If you're up to it, of course, since you love the unexplained, please follow me. Port reached into the wall and then grabbed a spar on the far side. He then entered this space, grabbing another spar on his other hand. Soon he disappeared as he was grappling his way downward. Jasper didn't wait around, moving forward to the small space in the wall that had opened up, being just behind his uncle. The journey down this wall space was not a friendly one. Jasper swore that he'd, that he'd touched at least two or three nails that had been left uncovered. And then there was also a mouse of some sort, at least he hoped that was what it was when it, that had danced across the top of his hand when he grabbed a hold of one of the spars. There was nothing to do about this other than ignore it, as he continued to clamber downward, unsure if his uncle was below him or the doctors were above him. He could only hear the sound of people moving, but couldn't really see anything. Finally, a light spilled into the wall space after what seemed like a long time. The light did not light up this interior wall, but gave Jasper a point to aim for. 
a thing he was very grateful for since his arms were screaming in pain and he very much felt like he was losing his direction of what was up and down. He moved out into a basement and discovered that the spot that he'd come out of was a hidden doorway under a staircase into the basement of this building where the tram lines ran. Once out into the basement proper, he saw that his uncle was already across to the other side on which I was at a section of wall, or it should have been, except he'd opened that. This secret doorway had swung open to reveal another passageway. Jasper was taking his time taking this all in, when he was pushed aside by Mr. Worth, then by Mr. Burton, and then finally by Diana, as they all went to see what his uncle had going on. He, however, held back, looking about, feeling like he was being followed, and hearing a noise of scratching coming down the walls. A shiver went down his spine as he saw what looked like a bottle floating out of the secret passageway. Jasper blinked, then turned, and began walking very quickly away from the opening, across to the room. The hairs on Jasper's neck, along with the goosebumps, refused to go away as he entered the hallway that was behind this new secret door. He did his best not to look behind him to see if the bottle was there following him. The goosebumps and the hairs on the back of his neck were more than enough for him to know that something was there. He did his best to move down this hallway at a rapid pace without letting anyone ahead of him know that something was terribly wrong behind him. The long hallway tilted its way gently downward and kept going and going. Then it finally came to an end in an open room. This space was just as odd and mind-bending as the rest of this madhouse. The room was dirt and grass that was accumulated by around a little hill in the center of the room that was surrounded by rocks meant to look something like a Stonehenge or something. Jasper couldn't really tell and his mind wasn't really registering the thoughts. And above all of them stood a hole that let in plenty of moonlight, which was very impressive since they should be very far down. The walls which Jasper looked over with awe at, and this because they rose up very high and were supported by a heavy tangle of roots that reached from the floor all the way up towards the hole. The group had spread about the room and began looking it over. Mr. Port, however, went to the center of the room where the hole stood over and where a grassy hill was. Yes, yes, take a look around while we wait. Jasper wandered towards one of the walls to look at the thick roots holding the room together and then looked back over. What are we waiting for, uncle? The click-clack sound, which scratched at the floor, answered his question as he turned to look. Into the room came a head in a jar of bubbling blue liquid. It sat atop a set of spidery-like mechanical legs. The thing scurried its way across the room towards the hill. Fuck, that's Hewitt. Mr. Worth, who was near enough of him to hear him, inched closer. How do you know that, sir? Mr. Baum forced me to see him in my dreams. Or maybe I wanted to see him in my dreams. Either way, I saw that head in a jar in my dreams. Diana also began creeping closer. So this is what you meant, Mr. Hughes. I see now why you'd think that no one would believe you. Excuse me, but you are invading my property. Mr. Burton, who's near the stones, stepped forward towards the hill. We are not. This place is owned by Mr. Locke. It is not. It is owned by me. 
It is too owned by Mr. Locke. Um, if I might, Porter stood up atop the hill. Mr. Hewitt is the owner, while Mr. Locke is simply an overseer. Well, technically, they might both own it. Mr. Hewitt here claims to be the owner of it, and I've heard Mr. Locke claim to be the owner of it. Um, but the simpler way to deal with it is Hewitt is the owner, Mr. Locke is simply an overseer of this facility, while things are figured out. Like why Mr. Hewitt isn't dead, and if it has anything to do with this missing rural town or these missing people that belong in this hospital. Perhaps, uh, nephew, but Mr. Hewitt, if you would be so kind as to show us what you mean that this is your place. The jar with Hewitt's head scurried off of the grass hill and towards the back of the room, disappearing from sight. Port followed and signaled that they should follow him. They came to a stone that was close to the back of the wall, and there, behind it, they found a small but distinguishable hole cut into the roots. They all had to get on their hands and knees to crawl through this space. It was big enough for Hewitt and his spidery legs to fit comfortably through. As for any human, though, they would only have enough space to crawl on their hands and knees. Jasper was third in line behind Dr. Burton, and found himself alternating his gaze between the butt in front of him, which he could barely make out, and the ground at his hands. The constant fight in his mind raging between not looking at a butt, because one, that would be rude, and one shouldn't look at other men's butts, or stare at them. It could make one uncomfortable, or both. But there was the problem of the ground not being much to look at either, and it was very difficult to know where he was heading. So, he was left looking up and down, trying to avoid the ceiling as he crawled, and banging his head against that. What he did not realize was that they were crawling back upwards, and this tunnel came to an end as suddenly as it had started. It emerged into a vine-covered lattice gate path, which had moonlight poking through it. The group slowly got out of this tunnel one by one. Jasper, once he got out, helped the others to stand up the spider bottle, head of Hewitt was impatiently jumping up and down near the exit of this place, a gated passageway, as they all lumbered their way as fast as they could to get up. We must hurry. We don't want to get caught. The head of Hewitt then sprinted out of this vine-covered tunnel, and which was held up with this lattice wooden frames. The rush of wind as Jasper ran clipped at him as the cold night air crisply made his presence known. He kept his head on a swivel to see where they were, and trying to place it in his mind. The area did not look familiar to him, but he could tell it was an area for maintenance, or at least it used to be. There were several old mowers and tools lying about the place near a shed, and he dodged, stepping on one that had almost been forgotten on a pathway. The group made his way directly to another large shed of a building that lay in the shadows of one of the big hospital building wings. They entered the storage building, which at this little entranceway of a foyer, or mudroom, one might call it. It was a sort of mud area with heavy carpets and coat hooks, and with all of them crowded in there, it was tight for space. How this was someplace special was beyond Jasper, as he found himself elbowed and crowded out of the way by the others. All of them were apparently eager to find out what was going on. 
He felt like he was walking into a trap that would get them all killed, while Port and Hewitt laughed manically in the background. It really was the only solution to this madness. It was that, or he was the mad one. While that seemed to have some potential, it didn't seem to completely fit in his mind, at least yet. The group went through a doorway of the entrance mudroom area of the garage into the garage itself. This was as run down as the rest of the building, with scraps of things left lying about the place. A rusted barrel on its side, and there was a rusted old car stuck in a lift near the back. None of this seemed to bother any of the other people. As spidery Hewitt continued his weird scramble across the place, leading them to a car trench pit, a space designed so that people could get under vehicles to work on them. One by one, the group lowered themselves in, leaving Jasper as the last one standing. When the trench was cleared of all the people, he lowered himself down to see where they'd gone. The only thing down there, aside from the drain, was a tunnel that was cut into the back. It had the word slide crudely chipped into the wall of the trench above it. There was also a handlebar above this little tunnel, which Jasper grabbed as he lowered himself downward. The never-ending journey of going from place to place was beginning to get on Jasper's nerves. He, however, didn't have much time to think about that. The slide, which was made of a simple aluminum that had been poured down a hole, was now traveling at a 25-degree angle, which only seemed to pick up speed as he went down it. And down and down he went, eventually crashing into a soft pad and then across a glass room, smacking into a glass wall which didn't even move when he hit it. He saw stars and lights that soon faded into just lights in a dark space that allowed him to see that he was in a glass room itself and a bit of darkness that surrounded it. He coughed as the air was knocked out of him from the crash, and slowly, when everything felt a little bit better, rose to his feet and found that the others also standing in a locked-off glass box, except for the little hole brought them there. Then he looked around for the head of Hewitt, but there was no man to be seen. Where is he? Diana pointed towards a hole off on the right side of the glass room. This led off to the side and back behind where the room was. Jasper went over to see what he could see from there, and he could see that it led, led back behind where this glass room was, but could see little else. A second later, this room that they were in began to light up below them as something slowly rose up towards them. Jasper thought it looked a bit like a science lab, but wasn't sure as it was far away. The telltale sign of scratches of Hewitt Spider's leg greeted them a second later in a hurried fashion. The head in a jar on legs jumped up and down excitedly, and Jasper realized that they were headed further downward, and what was below them wasn't coming up to greet them. The sinking sensation finally came to an end, as the elevator landing slowed to a stop in a well-lit science lab. The glass walls came away and they soon found themselves offloaded onto the floor as this elevator tipped them forward. The place looked old and didn't have any modern amenities. No computers beeping away, no high-powered microscopes and a long row of desks. There were plenty of books and test speakers scattered among the long tables that held all of those things, but no modern stuff. The head of Hewitt had once again vanished and no one seemed to notice this aside from Jasper who walked about looking for the man, or the head of the man. He wasn't sure which he was going to call him yet. 
The others were busy looking over spread of papers on the long tables. This is a study for how to keep a dead body alive. Yes, this old al alchemic reaction keeps neurons firing away and the mind alive, yes, Burton, but only in specifically built liquid. That is made from a massive amount of live tissues. The two worse and Burton continued to crowd around these papers. Jasper wandered out of hearing of the shocked exclamations, no longer wanting to hear the babbling of science. He found a spot near a door which fit a spidery jar head which it could have gone through. He was reaching out his hand to open the door, but it opened and swung into his face, sending him staggering backwards. Mr. Hewitt appeared in a mechanical body, and with his jar of a head where a head should be. The man came in slowly and stood before the group. Jasper held his face, trying to rub his hurt nose. This is the room where the fatal and a deadly experiment went down that would leave me like this. Hewitt made a very opulent gesture at his body. It would also give Mr. Locke his everlasting form. It sounded like an intriguing beginning of a story. One that Jasper figured was a large yarn made mostly of fictional fabric. He wasn't sure he wanted to buy a story from an emperor, from an ever-living scientist who had no clothes and just a jar for a hat. We had to set up a test subject on the table to see if they could survive an experiment, which I protested greatly. The three doctors hurriedly looked over one another and then an air of doubt entering the room, judging by their looks. Burton stepped forward confidently. But you own the facility, so why wouldn't you not just overrule your subordinate? It is true, I own the grand facility, but the evil man Locke, he blackmailed me into doing his bidding. Jasper had enough. He turned and headed through the door that Hewitt had just come through. A low, dim light bulb hanging from a wire, swinging back and forth, cast its dreary light over a tool shop. With each motion, it revealed the place where... One could tune things like a mechanical body so that it would work. How Hewitt could do that was a question that should probably be answered, but he found he had no time for that, as he turned to the door he'd come through. As expected, his Uncle Port entered a minute later. Uh, you finally came to meet me, huh, Uncle? I can't let my nephew down. Or escape. That's the most important part of all of this, isn't it? You figured something out. An idea that there are two worlds... Here, crushing together? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe the, the mechanical body of Hewitt out there has caused all of this. I don't really know. Yes, the two worlds are crushing together, and unless we do something, all of this will disappear. Jasper moved around the table that probably acted like a bed for the mechanical body of Hewitt's towards a row of tools. He grabbed a wrench off of a place near the wall and smacked it up against his hand with a satisfying thump. It was hefty, all right, and it would probably be good in self-defense. You don't care about that, Port. You don't care that, dear, this world might fall apart. I have a feeling you want it to fall apart. I have a feeling that Degar, Port, or whoever it is you claim killed my family is just another part of you, maybe. No, it was my other self who wanted that. The other side is the one who does the killings, but they're also a part of us. 
Mr. Degar said he needed it to happen to clear the timeline and so that we could join together again, and I just went along with it. Was Johanna and Locke present for this? Did they know what you were up to? Port seemed to panic, looking about the place and reaching into his pockets. Jasper tightened his grip on the wrench as he moved towards his uncle at a slow pace. I'm sorry, that isn't what happened. You went mad. You were the one who was charged with the murder. You're the one who was sentenced to be here. This is all you. you see, you even ha you're holding a wrench like a murder weapon. I'm not mad. I didn't kill anyone. I wasn't home when this whole thing happened. Stop trying to brush everything off, uncle. You went from saying that the world was going to be combined and then vanishing to blaming me. Port, then to his surprise, ran out of the room. Help! A murderer is on the loose! The sound of his uncle's voice from the other room brought him running to the door. When he got into the room, all he could see was the rising elevator with the three doctors, his uncle, and Hewitt all aboard, heading upwards. The sight drove him to pure fury and anger as he tossed the wrench with all of his strength towards the retreating figures in the glass elevator. The wrench, this wrench did its best effort, but fell well short and came clanging back down. He ran towards the hole in the ground where the elevator had come from and found just a hole there. No call button, nothing that would bring it back down. A sinking feeling of being stuck here beginning to spread as he ran about the lab looking for anything, overturning all but getting nowhere. Eventually exhausted of all of this and tired, he headed back towards the workshop. The wire dangling the light had not stopped swaying as Jasper came back in. He did his best to not pay any attention to this odd shadows that were being thrown about the room and giving off a very gloomy look to things. His mind wasn't fully registering any of it anyway as he found the metal table and crawled onto it. He closed his eyes tightly and hoped that sleep would come. The sense of something being off and pushed at him as he felt himself being rocked back and forth ever so gently. It was enough for him to open his eyes and yawn as the feeling of having rested for far too long crowded his mind. He also felt that his back had gone stiff from the rough straight table greeted him as he tried to get up. Hello, sir. Jasper glanced over to see a man hunched over himself wearing a leather apron that had tools seemingly hanging off from every odd spot on it. The man looked old, judging from his overly bushy eyebrows and white hair, but it was best not to judge, Jasper thought, as he got off of the table. Hi, you are? Tinker, I build things for Mr. Locke and Mr. Hewitt. Are you their guest? No, I might be their mortal enemy with them, though. Oh, well, you probably want to get out of here, then. Follow me. The man with the doubled-over hunch headed for a tool shelf, which he easily pushed aside to reveal a doorway. The stairs that Tinker was heading up and that had been behind the secret doorway was a surprise to Jasper. Though he admitted to himself he probably should not be shocked or surprised by anything anymore. And here he was, still trying to figure it all out. The stairs were steep, and the old man, though hunched over, seemed to take to them easily. Excuse me, sir, but why are you helping me out? I am mortal enemies with your employers. Without missing a beat of a step, the old man turned to talk, while still heading upwards. I can't have you wrecking Mr. Locke and Mr. Hewitt's work down there. No, no, I would never hear the end of it if I did that. Plus, I know what it's like to be stuck down there. It isn't pretty. I had to dig my way up to create this staircase. 
Tinker increased his pace and seemingly bounded up the stairs as he turned around, with Jasper lagging behind. No food recently, and being dragged just about everywhere was starting to take its toll. Emerging from the staircase, Jasper found himself out in the late morning sunshine. His first step off the landing of the staircase nearly sent him tumbling down as he found it to be a rocky outcrop that led right into the lake. Tinker helpfully grabbed him and steadied him, leading him towards firmer ground before pointing off towards his right side. My old home is up there. I don't really get much use out of it anymore. Or I think I don't. Not sure. Anyway, you can go lie low up there. I'll find you some food. Jasper was staring off to the right side towards the house that was nearby. He was sure that it was the place that had been used as a stopping point with Johanna and Port when they were sending him away from the island. Doing his best to avoid the muddy ground and the lake water, Jasper made his way along the shoreline towards this house, a task which he was only semi-successful at as a few shoefuls of water and mud nipped at his ankles. He ignored this, made his way towards the clearing and the long grass that occupied the house lawn, his hope being that he wasn't too slogged down in this mire and to get in there and not collapse before he got there. With his stomach grumbling and his head spinning a bit as the lack of anything aside from air, Jasper got to the front door of this house, this building, and just about collapsed into a pile of nothingness. He was saved when the door opened, but with no energy to do anything other than stare at the ground and breathe, he didn't bother to find out who was grabbing at him. Instead, he was just hopeful and thankful that he was going somewhere and being dragged inside towards safety, hopefully. His energy drained and he closed his eyes and stopped thinking for a while. And when he reopened them, Jasper found himself inside on a fluffy bed, which is not where he wanted to be at all. He would much rather be at a kitchen table, but seeing he hadn't the energy to fight this move, Jasper lay there waiting to see what would come next. Time passed, and then there was some more time passing by without anything happen. And then the nearby door opened in front of him, and in walked a young woman with a tray of food. She was followed by Tinker, who kept looking around suspiciously. This food on a tray was soon left on his lap, and the woman was then gone, leaving Tinker standing there. You'll have to eat quickly, I'm expecting guests who don't want to find out about the likes of you, or they don't want to see you, they don't want you around at all, I believe. Jasper cocked his head to the side as he sat there trying to understand this statement. It sounded like he should definitely stick around, but unseen and unknown by the group coming. The smell of food soon distracted him, and he picked up the fork and the tray to dig in, soon absorbed in eating and failed to notice anything else that was going on or that Tinker had left the room. When done, he finally took a look around. This place was barren with little else aside from the bed, which did not feel like it belonged. He rested for a few seconds, letting the food settle before he managed to get out of the bed and grab the tray as he headed for the door. After a bit of a search around the place, Jasper finally found the kitchen and the young woman cleaning dishes in a dirty, run-down space. She turned when she felt him enter, and he held up the tray. I brought the tray and dishes back. She was over to him in a flash and had taken the dishes away and was back at the sink all without saying a word or looking at him. Uh, miss. 
Oh, don't worry about her. She doesn't speak and always throws herself into work. No matter what I've tried to do to help her since she ran away from the mental hospital. It seems to work or get her to do anything other than work. Uh, she found her way here and just works on anything and everything that I point towards. Though nothing about her ever seems to get better. It's a terrible thing not being able to help anyone. Are you turning her over to the hospital? No, I'm... Why would I? What? Why would I? Oh, you mean the guests that are coming? No, I'm not. It actually concerns another runaway. A murderer, they say. Me. That's my guess, which is why you should leave at once unless you want to go back to them. Jasper started to move towards the back door, which led to the backyard behind the kitchen, only to find the young woman's hand suddenly on his chest. Is something wrong? I think you need to follow her. She'll lead you to the boat launch and then off of this dreadful island. She hurried first out of the back door. When Jasper got out, his shoes instantly sunk into the muddy ground. But the young woman, who didn't seem slightly bothered by this, he figured it was probably because of the fact that she was not wearing any shoes, and she seemed much happier outside. She also had grabbed his hand and was leading him away, towards the woods. Having been led off to the side and not far into the woods itself, they came to a stump on top of a hill that overlooked the house and the driveway. You should stay here and watch. Should I now? And, and do you just not talk to Tinker or what is up, miss? I talk when I want to. I, like you, escaped during one of the great purges of staff members. I wasn't a patient, and I figured being silent and helping the old man where I could would be a good deed. Oh. She nodded towards the road, which had dust kicking up from the entrance of it. Two cars were hurrying their way towards the house. Instinctively, Jasper found himself crouching down so that he wouldn't be seen. The vehicles came to a stop in the driveway, with Tinker coming out the front door to see what was going on. Eventually, Mr. Locke and Johanna stepped out of the first car, and the form of Mr. Hewitt in his human mechanical body stepped out of the other. The three slowly made their way up to the house, passing by Tinker, who remained outside. Come on, we'll get closer. They'll never suspect us. She had moved past him, rushing towards the edge of the woods when he caught her arms. First off, you shouldn't be risking yourself in such a manner. Secondly, do you have a name? I'm Doe, and I do need to risk it all. I need to find a way back. She slipped out of his grip and was hurrying away as he chased her. She had to find a way back to the hospital? Was she from the other world? Why not give a direct answer? They had reached the yard and slowed their pace to a soft walk with Doe, signaling by finger to her lips that they needed to be quiet, a thing that he had already figured out as he pulled off his shoes to help deafen his own footsteps, though he was not sure that they would do anything as the ground was soft and mucky and kept sucking his feet towards it. But they crept from the wood line of the woods to the side of the house. Doe made sure that the old man didn't see them as they slinked their way along. She then moved towards the backyard and crept along the cement frame, looking at each of the windows before coming to a stop. With a little effort, she was soon crouched down and looking at a basement window, which she popped out of its frame and then disappeared inside of the house. Jasper stood there for a second, studying the hole. He was unsure if he was going to fit through, 
but the sound of voices forced his hand, and so he dove in and promptly got stuck on his stomach. Thankfully, a bit of pulling from Doe and, and a bit of pushing on the wall from his own hands on the inside freed him of the grasp of the window frame. The basement offered nothing but cement to fall onto, and so Jasper came crashing onto that with a thud. Doe had stepped out of the way when he'd come in, but now offered a hand as he struggled to get out. Ow! Shh! We need to keep moving, or else we won't be able to hear them, and we need to keep quiet. She headed for the nearby staircase, and ever so carefully began walking up it, each step taken with utter care so that no noise came from the old wooden stairs. Jasper could only watch her go, despite being up and about. He felt ragged and worn. He shook his head as he'd lost track of time since he'd been swept up in the matter. It had all started so simply, and whether the last few days had gone by, or a few hours, or what was even what anymore, seemed lost. When the pain felt more manageable, he began his trek towards the stairs. The slow move up the stairs took time, as the first step had creaked when he put his weight onto it. He, of course, paused and didn't move as Doe glared down at him. Eventually, though, nothing happened, so he proceeded at best speed of nothing to climb up the stairs. Eventually, up on top of the staircase, there was a small landing area, one where one could prepare to either descend down or come up to this floor. It was made even smaller by all of the disused cleaning supplies that had been stuffed there, and Doe standing there as well. There was no room, but Jasper did his best to get up there and not be in her way but they were soon closer than was comfortable. Still, there was voices that came in loud and clear, even through the doorway it was closed. So, gentlemen, what's this all about? As I need to tend to workers to help them out. They've been severely traumatized by your actions, father. Daughter, don't speak like that. We all have our part to play in this, and Mr. Hewitt has news. Well, the least we can do is wait for him to explain what has gone on. There was a bit of noise, some shuffling of steps, and Jasper guessed as he held his breath. The shuffling came to a stop. I can speak for myself, partner. Now I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is that our time is coming to close. Despite the accident that gave me and Locke powers to live for, well, we don't know how long, it appears to be coming to an end because the dimensions are collapsing. You mean the, this dimensional collapse thing that you two refused to tell me about and now are telling me about? Yes, it's something like that. The people from the other side seem to be more informed on the matters, but we can rarely get a hold of them. And that's the good news, partner? What, where's the good news? We have the needed amount of sacrifices to push things a little down the road. That's my good news. Is Jasper Hughes among them, Mr. Hewitt? No, his uncle is, though. I believe you know him. And a bunch of doctors this time. Mm. Who cares about all of that? Let's just feed these people to the mirror and be done with it. Jasper felt movement in front of him and realized that Doe was about to rush through the door. His attempt to grab her was just that fraction too late as the door was whipped open and she went out. She charged into the kitchen and was instantly grabbed by Locke, who was by the door. Like you said, Mr. Hewitt, there was one from the other side hanging around here. And now we have her, and we have some answers potentially coming to us. Jasper, you can come out. 
We don't want to harm you as we are only here to try and solve the dimensional collapse. Torn between the stepping outside and going back downstairs, Jasper stood there for a second, then went to move. It was then that he realized that he'd stepped over the mop to stand at the landing and had failed to go back over it before moving. The twig of a handle was more than enough to cause him problems. As he moved, it only carried him backwards down the stairs. The tumble was not a pleasant one as he bounced off steps on his way down, and the hard cement floor once again greeted him not so nicely, this time with a heavy thwack. He gasped in pain as he tried to get up and a bit too much and caused him to writhe about. The sound of footsteps and concerned voices reached him from the top of the stairs. Jasper, what has happened? He kept silent as he screamed a silent yell into the cement, a gasp of air to express his pain. The sound of steps coming down from the stairs forced him to get up as he tried to deal with it all. Jasper finally had gotten to his knees and could see the open window he'd come through. A hand touched his back and he jumped forward, hurrying towards the corner of the basement. There would be no safety from these people. Go away! You're all mad and deserve to be locked up in your damn hospital. Get away! Jasper, we're not mad or crazy. We're just trying to figure out how to get out of a bad situation. One that was brought on by an accident. We can solve this with your help. Mr. Hughes, I know you came here because of your uncle who was convicted of murdering your family. But now is not the time to go mad yourself and let loose on us. We only seek to close the situation that we accidentally created. Yes, it was our fault, but we need your help to close this situation off. Jasper pushed himself deeper into the corner of the basement. His eyes shifted from Johanna to her father, Locke. They both, from what he could see, looked genuine, but those were looks that could easily be faked. With everything going on, he found he could not trust them an inch without some new intrepid story popping up to cover themselves with. No, you can't prove yourselves worth trusting. I won't, I can't think of you people as anything other than evil. Johanna took a few steps forward, reaching her hand out. Locke, on the other hand, reached into his pocket and took out a packet of cigarettes. He didn't offer any to anyone else, and just seemed single-minded in his effort to get one out to smoke. End of part 7. Thank you for listening.